The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. The shutdown totally allowed that for us. We utilized that time to the best of our abilities and we're very proud of the end result. Kelly Stockdale of Vicky's Values has reason to be proud. She's part of today's show, describing how time off provided positive change for the nonprofit retail outlet. The Kenmount Fair is scheduled to return in September, but you can reminisce about its long history now in a new coffee table book. We'll talk to the author with deep Kenmount roots. Lindsay Little Theatre's newest production takes the stage this week. A welcome return for its veteran director and also for an actor returning after a decades-long absence. I sit down with the new executive director of the Lindsay and District Chamber of Commerce as well as its president. So yeah, lots of new today in a brand new episode of The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Thanks for being with us and downloading and streaming us. My name is Denis Grignel, your host of this twice-monthly program. It's been a frustrating, sometimes downright discouraging couple of years for businesses having to deal with everything. But some local businesses were able to use those umpteen shutdowns to reevaluate and replan for this most recent, and last we hope, reopening. Vicky's Values, for example, the used clothing and a bit of everything store on Mary Street in Lindsay has not, ne- not necessarily a new look, but some new approaches in how it does business. And don't kid yourself, while this is a charity that supports women's resources, Vicky's Values is very much a retail store. That's the message I got from its warehouse and volunteer support services coordinator, Kelly Stockdale, when I met her at the store recently. She started by explaining why, starting April 2nd, they decided to, again, open on Saturdays. We realized we've kind of shut down a whole demographic of customer by not being here for them on Saturdays. We have a lot of teachers who love to shop here, fill up their classrooms with our storybooks and different toys and stuff, but it's really hard for them to get to us Monday to Friday, 10 till 4. What was it like trying to staff that Saturday for people who aren't used to working on the weekends? That is a work in progress, for sure. But we, we're used to it because we used to do it in the past. So now we just, have to, we just have to bring it back and you just have to be open. We work in a retail environment, so that's what we do. What is this time of year like in general, but especially compared to this time of year in 2021? How do you draw the comparison between the two? Well, in 2021, we were shut down for at least three months. And that that was a challenge, but it was actually a really great time for us to grow as a business. We were still working as staff and we reorganized our entire business and we rethought everything. We um, brought in a new color tag system. So now our inventory doesn't sit on the floor for anywhere longer than four to six weeks. So what happens after it reaches that that expiry date, if you will, of four to six weeks. Sure. There's generally not a lot of stuff left because we're doing such great turnover here now, but we have a partner that we work with and they are also a recycling company. So they have different avenues that they can share those generous donations with. If we can get back to the shutdowns for a minute, how did that affect your inventory? Because on the one hand, you have fewer shoppers, but I'm going to guess you may have had fewer people donating. So what was that balance like? We were actually full to the brim 
with donations because we accepted donations as long as we could and our community is so supportive and incredibly generous with us so we had a lot of stuff in this building that we had to figure out what are we going to do so that's where the organization has really helped us our warehouse now is so fine-tuned it we're just this well-oiled machine now within this space like even for example our book room we alphabetized our and categorized our entire book room which where before it was just books being brought out so now we've created a more welcoming atmosphere and an ease of shopping can i walk over there absolutely okay because okay, so. to me it just looks like neatly stacked books on a, on on shelves so how does this compare to what it would have been two years ago i mean i do see the board games on the top so right yeah so two years ago if books came in they'd be brought out in a handful and just set on a shelf now when you come in if you know your favorite author all the fiction is alphabetized by la author's last name and all the nonfiction is categorized. So I know for myself, I have a certain category that I like to find. So now I've got one place I can go and I can find exactly what I need. And we've found that with a more organized store, our customers are very appreciative of it. And when they find something, they pick it up and they decide they don't want it. They're actually putting it back where it belongs. They're not just randomly setting it somewhere. Okay, tell me about the the streamlining of of tags. Because in any retail outlet, if we're gonna use that example, you're gonna have the, the, the name brand labels on one rack and the more generic brands maybe in, in another part of the store. Well, we decided that everybody's equal. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your pocket we can afford the same shirt if there's an, Ar an armani shirt out there or there's a joe fresh it doesn't matter they're both four dollars at vicky's and we just we just want we just wanted to level the playing field for everybody and when the women who are utilizing our services come in they have the freedom to get whatever they need whatever they need at that time and there's no restrictions for them as a retail manager are you finding those name brand labels leaving the store more quickly and then leaving you with a non-name you're not you're already nodding so yeah so where's the challenge there that's not a challenge at all for us those are the gems we call those our gems so if you come in and you find an incredible high-end sweater and you're walking around town wearing that and your friends are commenting about it you're probably going to talk about vicky's values and more than likely you're going to come back you're dealing with your client base and, and many of them are as you mentioned teachers and people of means but what do, do the labels mean for the people in need what does that label mean to that person well i'm sure that's different for everybody but when you get a high quality piece of clothing you feel really good you feel good in it and we really put a lot of care into what we present here and what we offer to our community so I think people walk out of here just feeling really good. It's a win-win. Like you're supporting a great cause and you're getting what you need in life and life is affordable. We look at stuff and we don't say, how much can we get for that? We say, how can we serve our community? How can we help? Hi, I'm Kelly Stockdale with Vicky's Values and Lindsay, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. We are 100% local media and part of The Advocate magazine. 
In the April issue, read Ian McKechnie's piece on how the Milkman was once a cultural icon in North America, including right here in Kawartha Lakes, with names like Bob Daner, Joseph Hutton, and Norm Snook. We hope you'll tell others about our program, which is brought to you by Ward's Lawyers, our official and only sponsor for more than two years. Carissa Ward and the team of lawyers at Ward's can meet all your legal needs. Find out how by visiting wardlegal.ca. One of the members of the Ward's team is Melissa Carnegie. I was born and raised in Kawartha Lakes, lived here all my life. Well, I decided to stay in Kawartha Lakes and um, have family raise my children here um, because I wanted my children to be close to my own parents and close to my relatives. And um, I think it's been really beneficial for them. Um, they can just go over and spend the, the day with their grandparents and be outside tobogganing or um, helping my parents out on um, the farm. Like the new park at Logie Street, it's fantastic for kids. Um, we've spent hours there and they just have so much fun. The beaches in Bob Cajun, we've spent, oh, we've spent hours and hours um, over the years there. On, uh, during the summer, we just go to the beach, pack up a little uh, picnic and we'll go um, just play in the water for, for hours. And it's lots of fun. You can go there and go to Kawartha Dairy and get some lovely ice cream. My name is Melissa Carnegie and I live in Bog Cajun. The summer and fall fairs that did manage to operate these past two years, well, let's just say they couldn't exactly offer the same festive feel of previous years. Hoping for better days ahead, of course, including that first weekend in September when the beloved Kinmount Fair is scheduled to return in that Shire-esque setting amidst tall trees and rolling hills. Now, if you think you'd like to reacquaint yourself to the history of the tiny fair with a big heart before September, that can happen via a new coffee table book, The Story of the Kinmount Fair, 1872 to 2021. The book is loaded with photos of old and not so old, along with reprints of yesteryear newspaper articles about the fair. The man behind the book is Guy Scott, a history teacher and true Kinmount booster if ever there was one. I spoke to Guy on the porch of the Kinmount Artisans Marketplace. In the book I was trying to capture uh, not only the history of the fair but the um, what happened, the sense of community. I'm a storyteller, I'll be honest with you. I love to tell stories and, and uh, I told a few of them in there but I got lots more I'm waiting for the fair. So I'm just going to have a storytelling session there just from my memory and what I was told by other people. I seem to remember these things. And I think, uh, well, it once was said to me that if history were told as a series of stories, it would never be forgotten. And that's what I hope I'm doing with this book. There are so many stories that you can pick and choose from, though, and the book can only be so thick. So what was that process like, just deciding which ones you'd go with? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I tried to go with a with photography, because that really catches the eye. It's, it's a uh, coffee table style book. First of all, I want to leave the impression of everybody who reads it that, wow, a lot of stuff happened at the Kinmount Fair over the years. And the second impression I wanted to leave was a lot of people had a lot of fun, especially little kids. There's so many pictures of them smiling and laughing and chasing, and you can just sense the, the, the wonderment and the fun coming out of those pictures. And that's the two things I wanted to make clear in the book. We want to attract people. That's our job. And... Uh, the only way you're going to attract people is if they have a good time. People aren't going to come just to come. They'll soon lose that. And the way to do it is to make it a good experience. One of my stories was I can always remember in our trailer park, 
Um, the fair was only half over. It was only halfway through Saturday. There's a big party going on next door to me, and one couple's leaving, and they turn around and said, see you next year. And they had a good time, and they've already stored in their mind that they're going to come next year. And that makes, that makes the organizers feel happy when, when they feel like that, even before the fair is over, for heaven's sakes. You're dealing with over 100 years of fair, and, and I, I, I recognize your intimate relationship to it, but there had to have been a couple of events or, or occurrences or people that, that when you were going through all this material, you went, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I missed a few things, let me tell you. Um, we had some of, the, some of the costume classes for horses. I don't know, I must have missed them along the, the way. And, and there was a, floats in the parade, and I thought I'd seen everything. And I said, I don't remember that. And yeah, there's lots of stuff. And it's, so it's been a learning experience for me, too. But even before you were born, before you could have taken in the fair, when you were going through the historical records yeah. and the newspaper articles, did anything stand out where you went, huh? Okay, I didn't see that coming. Well, one of the things was they used to, for about 25, first 25 years, we held the fair on the main street. And of course, in those days, I guess if you closed it off, <laughs> you wouldn't, you know, big deal. But you couldn't charge admission. So they were getting no money in, only what the government grants did were. Did that surprise you? It kind of did, because how do you stay afloat? I know they're, you know, first prize is 10 cents, but still, I mean, you have to have something. And finally, they just broke down and they said, okay. We gotta, you know, we gotta have somewhere where we can charge admission and control the crowds. And uh, after that, the fair just boomed. So it took off by leaps and bounds when we had our own designated fairgrounds, which is exactly where we are today, 100 and what, 25 years later. What would you like the book to say, not just about the fair, but the community of Kinmount where we are right now? Well, we're very welcoming and we're very proud of it. And I think. That's something that everyone in town would agree. Even those who are not into it as much as I am still feel pride. Most people, if you go places in Ontario and Canada, I was even at Disneyland wearing a Kinmount Fair hat, and some kid pointed at, look, Dad, Kinmount Fair, all the way in Florida, for heaven's sakes. What stands out, maybe via this book, that you're going to get that person from Toronto or Ottawa to go, okay, I can only go to one fair in that area. I'm going to choose that one. Well, we're traditional. Like I said, we don't use the old uh, parking lots. We have the trees and the grass, and we spend a lot of money and a lot of time manicuring the fairgrounds. And such a variety of things. Our motto is something for everyone. You just never know. One old guy came to me once. He says, you know what I like about your fair? I said, what? He said, the horse races. I said, we haven't had them for 10 years. What? He goes, he came to the, see the horse races and just never got around to it. <laughs> so, uh, so we... we have it so you can't see it all in one day too i'm sure you had a stack that you had to sift through what was that process like i it was shocking how many showed up i kind of spread the word around when we were doing this and of course you i know the people who might have pictures and they know and so on just a number of pictures but the really thing that surprised me um is facebook like i am i'm on facebook but i'm not a social media junkie and when I went to search there, I found hundreds. I think I lost count at 100 or so, too. Uh, so that means, and none of them are put by our people, as the fair people we call our people. They were all done by just visitors. And this, that's great that they thought enough, they had a good enough time at the fair, that they were willing to put it in Facebook. Every community, every fair, if you're going to go back 100 years, there are those moments, those events where we would probably prefer didn't exist we might want to forget we might want to just kind of sweep under the rug 
And, and a lot of people would feel, no, there's a responsibility that we have to let the public know about this. I mean, not far from here, and I've always respected this about Kinmount, there is that monument acknowledging how the people from Iceland were, were dealt unfairly when they were here. So that's a long way for me to get to, to this point. One of the passages in the book, you, um, you quote an article from about 100 years ago in which they're describing some of the games that people could play. And in the description of that one game, the name uses a word we just don't hear anymore, Guy. It's, uh, it was called Hit the Blank. And uh, I just, yeah, I see you're nodding now. So what went into that decision well, to I'm, actually use that verbatim? It was a, yeah, it's, it was a quote. And uh, I just quoted out of the, I think it was the Lindsay Post. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. But that's, yeah, you wouldn't, things do change. They really do change. But it's, uh, that's what they called them in those days. It wasn't, so I, I like to be accurate. I'm, you're right. I maybe should have bleeped out in that in second thought or whatever. But, but um, it was just, I, I do like accuracy. If that's what they used. What's the one thing you would like people to take out of this book after they go through it? A guy like me sitting at my coffee table going through the book going, huh. What would you like me to glean from it? I got to get up there and check this out. What are they doing this year? Or what's going to happen this year? Or this looks like fun. To that point that the world is changing, how do you adapt to those future needs and, 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 and those likes and those desires while still maintaining the history and, and, and the charm of the fair? The rural style, it's tough for us. We don't have a farm community anymore. We did in the past, and that's why we have a fair. But we've managed to hang in there. Like, we have a little joke in Kinmount. It says, how do you make a million dollars farming at Kinmount? Start with two million. <laughs> and uh, that's getting to be more and more. So now we're not dealing with people who've grown up on a farm. We're dealing with people who've, uh, who are curious what's going on. So we kind of changed. In the old days, I used to say in the old days, fairs were meant to uh, educate the farmer. And now the farmer's educating the city folk. There was a nice acknowledgement I found in the book where, uh, it was again from a newspaper article, I think, where they acknowledged the, the hard scrabble farming. Yeah, leave it to the people from, the, from this area. They, they will just keep their head down and they're almost stubborn that they are gonna grow fruit one way or another. They're, they're gonna try, yeah. And, and this is part of our heritage too. We, the, the, the people in Kinmount that have been here a long time or whatever, this, this is their last chance. This is history to them. They've, all, they've come through the years and everything like that. So that's what I was trying to put in my book, too. Not only the history, not only the entertainment, but the history part, too. Hey, there are glimmers of a somewhat return to normal for local businesses, but just as local businesses were poised to relax restrictions slowly, carefully, the Lindsay and District Chamber of Commerce faced a non-pandemic challenge a few months ago, recruiting a new executive director, which it did very recently. I'm with the Chamber's president, Roderick Benz, who is also the publisher of The Advocate magazine, and by extension, the man who oversees our program. As well, Alyssa Adams is also here. Alyssa started her new job as the Chamber's exec director just very recently. Hey, thanks for making time, uh, time for me. Thanks for having us. Roderick, let me start with you. What were you looking for in a new director? Yeah, ideally we wanted someone local um, who really knew the area, who would be strong with event planning, and who wouldn't be afraid to get out there and talk to our members, um, all you know, our important small business community with face-to-face -face interaction with them, and, and someone who's familiar with, with the area. What did you feel you could bring that maybe hadn't been there before, something that was lacking, Alyssa, in your, in your role? 
I think our previous executive director was doing an excellent job and she'd been in the role for a long time. Um, I think for myself, this is my first step into an executive director position. So I'm bringing some fresh energy, some fresh eyes and a pretty long history of being in the community, working with uh, local not-for-profits and small and medium businesses as well. Uh, I've been with the United Way. I've been with Boys and Girls Clubs of Kawartha Lakes. I've been with Big Brothers Big Sisters as well. Um, and I'm sure there's more that I'm slipping my mind right now. <laughs> We received a lot of resumes from people as far away as uh, greater Vancouver area, um, Labrador City, <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and, and, you know, all things being equal, they weren't, they weren't right for the job anyway. But it surprised me that they would even bother applying because I think at the heart of being an ED of the chamber is knowing your local community. So it was really high in our list. But a lot of people would argue that, well, you know, people come in from out of town all the time, you know, and, and they can learn about the community. So let me ask you, Alyssa, why do you feel, what do you think you were able to bring by being a Lindsay person. Well, just to what you're saying, like I've lived this community my whole life. Um, my parents uh, relocated here just before I was even a year old. So, um, you know, growing up in Little Britain, going to high school here in Lindsay, spending a bit of time out in Bob Cajun, and of course, just touring Kawartha Lakes. Like I've lived it and I've worked it. So the community really means a lot to me. And this position I feel is going to allow me to really give back to all of those other people that have helped me get to this point. Right. So, um, for example, when I was at the Boys and Girls Club, I worked with some of our most at-risk youth in this community so I've seen you know what the poverty looks like in city of Kawartha Lakes and Lindsay specific um, but I've also been you know fortunate enough to work with some of our small businesses and seen you know the other end of that spectrum and seeing some of the privilege that we have here so I'd like to be able to find a bit of a balance in, in helping both of these sides work together and and bringing our not-for-profits and our small businesses you know kind of onto the same team uh, to help one another out because you know the not-for-profits we have in this area do a lot of work and a lot of good work. So, you know, partnering with my experience in both of those things, I think will help help everyone. At the heart of the chamber in general, it's networking. It's creating togetherness, uh, you know, at a business level and making connections. What relevance do you think the, the chamber has now, given that so many businesses have kind of figured out how to manage on their own? How do you convince them that, no, as this slowly comes back to normal, you really need us more than ever? You know, that's a great question. One of my like, you know, big starting points in this position is, as Roderick said, he wanted someone who can network and get out there and be face to face. And you'll remember um, when I was with Bob FM, now Bounce FM, that I was the events person. So I was out in the community. I was talking to people face to face and, and bringing people together through that. And I feel that in this position, while, yes, these businesses have been doing it on their own. They don't have to, and I really want them to know that they can rely on the chamber for networking with other businesses that do similar work to them and building those relationships, um, and also just supporting them and making sure that they know that we're here for whatever the next step is throughout, whether it be pandemic related or just you know downtown related when it comes to Lindsay or expansion out in Cameron or Little Britain Oakwood area, right? Like it's important for me that these businesses know that they're not alone and they don't have to be alone. So they have someone who wants to come out and knock on their door, meet them, see what they need and what we can do for them. I think this really is a time for change for the chamber and by finding out what our members and our non-members would want to see from us and want to get from us, that's what's going to get us, you know, through the next couple of years and really help grow our organization. As Alyssa alluded to, our district is huge from, uh, you know, Woodville on one side to, uh, Omimi and beyond and the other, and then all the way down to uh, Janaville, Bethany, Pontypool. So really important that we have someone who gets the whole city. 
what is your first order of business? Do you think, Alyssa, I know you're new in the gig, but you must have a checklist of things that got to do this, got to do this. What's at the top of that list? Figure out where to park. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, my first order of business really is uh, member recruitment. Like, I'd really like to see the chamber build its membership of businesses in our catchment area. Um, we've had so many new businesses start up since, like, in the last two years that we haven't been able to get out and meet. And I'd really like to, you know, introduce myself to them and tell them, what do you want from us? How can I do it? And make that happen for them so they can get a fulfillment out of their chamber and want to be a member of it. Hey, I'm Alyssa Adams, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. That is a scene from Men Are Dogs, a new play by the Lindsay Little Theatre, on now until April 9. A return of any kind of theatre is a big deal for the people on stage and behind the scenes, but for Seamus McCann and Katie Plant, this return is special, special, in, in different ways. Seamus, who's directing Men Are Dogs, has been with the theatre for about 15 years. He, he's kind of an LLT elder statesman. For Katie Plant, who plays Loretta in Men Are Dogs, a return to live theatre means her return to live theatre. A few years ago, Katie relocated to her home area of Little Britain. That allowed for a return to the LLT stage some 20 years after Katie left. I spoke to Seamus and Katie right before rehearsal for Men Are Dogs. This is my outlet. This is how I uh, like to um, spend my free time and to share my passion of the theatre and uh, to make people laugh and to cry and to have those experiences and to not have them uh, certainly put me in a bit of a depressed spot. And I think a lot of people were feeling those same things. The theater is kind of like my second home, right? I, I'm also on the board here. So, I mean, I've still been active, but, uh, you know, having to do everything over Zoom and, uh, you know, that's the only way you really connect with people. But I've seen the theater grow. I, I think I became part of this theater in 2007, I think is when I started. And I've seen this theater grow and uh, change over the years, but it's always had that family environment. Like we're a very home family type uh, theater. It is neat to um, be here for a long period of time and see how how uh, you know the the kids move forward, how everyone changes in their lives. I mean, we've had people come and go, which is the sad part of it. Even like we've been here long enough to see some prominent theater members uh, pass away, even. And uh, when you don't have that, uh, when you don't have that, this pandemic kept us away. It's like a big part of your life taken away almost. <laughs> Katie, your experience is a little bit different. You were part of the theater, you know, a couple of decades ago, and now you're back. So you don't have any recent memories to compare it to. So what does this, this experience mean for you now coming in at this time? It's just so exciting. Right this moment, though, what it's about is reconnecting, reconnecting with emotions and excitement and um, the act of being with such a great group of people, not just because I haven't done it for more than 20 years, but also because we've all been so isolated for the past few years. And moving back to my hometown, so I was born and raised in the area, attended Ops Elementary, which is now Jack Callahan, and then um, IU Weldon, I was heavily involved in theater, in the leadership groups at, um, at IU Weldon, the SAC. 
I was involved with the Kinsmen, the Lindsay Kinsman Band, and marching flute and piccolo player. So what I really love now that I'm back here um, many years later um, with my own child is I just love being part of our community, you know, and being really, really connected with them. I think it really means... I don't want to say normalcy, but but there's a sense of wellness. Um, for me, coming back to theater now, I need laughter in my life. I need I need to be able to huh, what's the word like express myself in ways that I feel I've I've not been able to for so many years, and and I'm finally breaking through that again because I have felt very isolated. There were a couple of blips in the last two years where, you know, you did have shows that were able to return. What was the mood like when you reopened again this time? Well, it's kind of interesting because if you talk about what it's, it's what opening because um, we had opened in the fall. That's when we started uh, to audition for this show and everyone kind of coming back to it, very tentative. Everyone's wearing, you know, you're wearing masks. When I auditioned for it, we could only have two people on the stage at one time. Um, with the with the shield, so they could take off their mask to do the audition, and then we got shut down again. So, what was that like to go through that that merry-go-round? Uh, I, I'm really hopeful. I I, I think uh, I, there seems to be a tone in in this next opening and this opening that we have now that seems like they're gonna try to go at it without having you know without having to shut down the province again. They're gonna try to you know take care of uh, the healthcare aspects in, in different ways than they were before with the sh like shutting everything down. So I think the, the only part that stresses me out now is what happens if a cast member catches COVID before the show, right? So you almost now have to kind of plan in your head. Um, That's you know, stressful. Yeah, that part, that part is. I mean, I, replaced, I had to replace 50% of this cast from what I had at the beginning already. I think Katie here, she drove a test over to, you know, another cast member to, so everyone could test and see that, you know, we were safe and uh, our families are safe and, and what the next process was for isolating. And in fact, though, the roller coaster is happening not just to people in theatre, right? So I feel that because we've had life experiences and because now we realize that things do happen very quickly and we need to stop doing what we normally do, We've kind of gotten used to that, and I think learning that um, resilience and learning the ability to adapt has been um, one of the benefits, <laughs> if I can name any, <laughs> to, to the situation. But I would say when we came back, after being closed in the winter, I felt our whole team was more cautious. We, not that we weren't being cautious before. What can you tell me about this play as it relates to what we're all dealing with right now? Or, uh, or is it a tonic for something that's just far removed from it? I think, I think that's exactly it. This is a, you know, this is a laugh out loud kind of absurd comedy um, with some really, really interesting characters in that. Um, a departure from what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe this is what we've become <laughs> after being isolated for so long. <laughs> Crazy! <laughs> but uh, I think... Uh, I think it's uh, it's needed. Like I, I'm usually, I usually like to direct dramas. To be honest, that's my that's kind of where I've always leaned to. Uh, but I knew uh, I knew coming into uh, coming out of the pandemic and that that comedy is probably where we where we needed to be. <laughs>
I think it's very much an extreme and it's really about distracting us from really the, the hard situations. But it's also about being authentic and being expressing how you really feel, not bottling it up inside and just letting it out um, effectively, shall we say. And I'm really looking forward to that. My thanks to Seamus McCann and Katie Plant of the Lindsay Little Theatre. Men Are Dogs is running now until April 9 at the theatre on George Street in Lindsay. You can get tickets by visiting lindsaylittletheatre.com. If you've never been to LLT, you gotta go. It is a lovely, warm space that is perfect for a live performance. No need to buy a ticket to download or stream our show for free. And we hope you'll subscribe and rate us so that other people can more easily find this podcast And that ensures our continued success. Please like us on Facebook and also send us your story ideas and comments about the show. This area is rich with stories. We are free thanks to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. This is a great team of lawyers that Carissa Ward has assembled. I've used them in the past, so I speak the truth. They're at wardlegal.ca. Big thanks to the musically gifted Gerald Van Haltern for writing and performing the theme music you hear on the show. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Coorth Lakes is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignon. Asking you to still play it safe out there, respect other people's individual safety comfort levels, and please, 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 when you're served by someone in retail or, or in a restaurant or any business, look them in the eye and say, thank you. We're back in about two weeks. This is the best job I've ever had. It's not just shopping. It's not just helping the people. It's just, it's so much more than that. Like this store is, it's a, it's a light.